Oscar Poker. And um, um, yeah, I I didn't do my homework today, and I I can't even remember. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> what I'm day supposed, is it? You know, I think there's a lot of excitement about what did open. Let me. I'll just say that right off the top. I don't. Um, well, uh, one day opened, right, Phil? Yeah, it was one day. Spy Kids, Conan, and Friday night. It was uh, a really weak. Um, disappointing weekend. God, and, you know, yeah. I right off the top, I would not uh, and did not and pointedly made a point of not even, I don't even want to know about Conan the Bar- Barbarian. Uh, but I did see, um, well, Sasha, did you see one day? No. Okay. I saw that and um, I presume you saw that also, Phil. Why don't you just give us a rundown of what happened? I haven't clue one what happened. No. Yeah, well, uh, the help, you know, finished first. It's not a surprise. I mean, the word of mouth. Yeah around that one is excellent and it's becoming you know pretty much a must-see it's hitting that same blindside audience it's already up to 71.8 million totally um yeah 100 million that's let's just be clear for those who are just joining the world after how long uh it opened on august 10th and we are now uh at august 20 what is the day today the 21st. What day is it? <laughs> Where am I? Um, yeah, so I mean, that, that's... 11 days later, it's up to 70 something million, and it's going to easily top 100 and perhaps see it beyond that, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what do you see it ending at? I would, I'd put it somewhere, you know, it, I think it has a shot at maybe, you know, somewhere like 130, maybe. Um, it depends. I mean, something like this can really hang around, and especially when. You know, it opens during a very slow month, like, like August, when there's not, you know, much else out there. Um, people just want to get out and, and go see something, and, and this is becoming a, a really strong option. And, I mean, it was able to fend off, you know, four new movies. I mean, it's, it's, that's not a, uh, that's a pretty uh, big feat, you know, to accomplish. And I also think that it's, it's uh, I have not really uh, looked recently, but I, I know that there's a there's Sasha's uh, air, airplane. Yeah, pause for the plane going over. You know, when you're filming on a set, they always have to pause when the plane comes over. Have you ever been on a set when they do that? Uh, yeah. 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 So, uh, I, I, I was reading a tweet from our friend uh, James Rocky, and he was just fuming when he, he was sitting there at a junket table, as I was yesterday. Oh, for what movie? Warrior. Oh, okay. And um, he just was like fuming and t- texting about how he couldn't stand these uh, junket whores, talking about how they just loved uh, the help, and it's just you know a movie that just worked for them. And you know, there's there's an elitist uh, rage about this movie. I guess they they resent That's right. that they didn't uh, give it a pass at all, and yet here it is just sailing past them. So. You're so right, Jeff. When you say elitist rage, that's exactly what it is. I sat down with eight women the other night for dinner. We have this monthly thing where we get together with mothers and daughters. We've been doing it for like two years, three years, something like that. That's cool. Every month, you know. Do you organize that? 
or how did that get going? Um, one of the my friends is, a, is an NPR reporter, and she had done a story on the woman who wrote the book and how they had done this 10-year experiment where they met every month as mother-daughter group. And they she write, wrote about the problems that they had. You know, it's basically to help kind of keep the relationship good between the, like, adolescents and all that, the eating disorders and all the stuff that happens to young girls as they grow up, and specifically just mother-daughter relationships. So we've been doing it a long time, and um, I know these women pretty well. And they are, you know, left-wing. You know, one's an NPR reporter, one's like a, you know, a Pilates teacher slash poet, you know. <laughs> they're very, you know, they're really intelligent and, you know, working women and they feminists and all that, right? You would have thought that they would have hated the help. <laughs> but no, we sat down and the first thing out of their mouths was, did you see the help? Oh my God, was that good? I have to see that again. And no, I haven't seen it, but I can't wait to see it. So-and-so saw it, said it was so great, like really enthusiastic word of mouth that cannot be ignored, you know. So I think we're looking at a potential Best Picture nominee here. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I could see Phil agrees with the naysayers. What about your significant other, Phil? What is she saying? <laughs> on, on, the, on the help? Yeah. Um, she saying you know, it? No, it, it, it passes. Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, it's pretty solid. I, we, we didn't like uh, One Day, I can tell you that. Um, oh, you didn't? Just didn't play it all. Yeah, I, I saw it with an actual audience yesterday. And, oh. you know, there's that big, um, you know, the ending just doesn't work. You, you'd expect something like that to hit, and then there'd be gasps in the audience, and it was just DOA. Nobody was responding. It, it just seems forced. And, um, yeah, I don't feel that the ending uh, made a difference to them. It was not a what they would call a justified ending. You know, good endings are always ones, not that are happy or sad, but that they feel justified. They're, there's something right about them. The, the characters earn their, their fate or their, their karma, you know, caught up with them or whatever. And you're saying that that feeling of justice wasn't there, right? No, I don't think it exists at all. And, and I don't think the two people, I, I don't think there's any chemistry there. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm not the person to point that out. I know a lot of reviews have said that they just didn't buy the, you know, Jim Sturgis and Anne Hathaway as a couple. And, and uh, I, I think that hurts it. You know, I would have, uh, uh, I liked her uh, for her uh, obvious uh, intelligence and her, uh, and her spirit. And she was, a, you know, uh, made some wrong choices, like with the with the uh, kind of would-be comic boyfriend, and that. but I, I didn't have a lot of respect for her. I didn't understand what she was coming, where she was coming from, what, why she was into Jim Sturgis, because he struck me as a such a uh, insipid uh, party boy, uh, worthless human being type. You know, he, I just didn't care about him at all. So, why does she have this thing for him? And that's what you're sitting there watching for all the. Yeah, I think it was a very, you know, superficial female character. Yeah. I don't think there was much depth to her. Mm. Um, it's, you know, she, you mean because she loved him, there's not a lot of depth to her, or just the way she was written on her own, she doesn't have a lot of depth. Yeah, I mean, I think a little bit of both. You know, it's it's not a fully fleshed out character on the page, and then mm. you just don't buy, you know, why she's, mm. you know, hung up on this guy for so long. Mm. Um, so, is Sasha still there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> I zoned out. Anytime you bring up one day, I zone out. No. <laughs> You're not missing much, Sasha. Sorry. I didn't hear what happened numerically with one day. Um, <laughs> it's not bad. I mean, it's uh, a little over five million, and you know, but it was only at seventeen hundred locations, so it's not. What was the per um, screen then? Uh, almost three thousand. So. And, and the word of mouth actually is as weird as it, as it sounds. Um, seems to be pretty good. Um, the one indicator um, I look at most weekends is um, Flickster. They have a, this big base of users that mm -hmm. you know goes and rates a movie, and it has a 78% approval rating from 13,000 users, mm -hmm. which is pretty damn good. So I mean, I guess people out there are, are responding to it. It's you know it's lowest common denominator stuff. I think you know it's just plays up the schmaltz and, and the ending is forced but I don't know some people went for it I you know mm. I don't see it what did you sense the audience you said you saw it with the painting uh, you, they didn't like the ending but did you feel any anything at all during the film was there um... no not really I mean the energy wasn't there so that's why I'm, again I'm kind of surprised that 
but you know every audience is different you know you can go see the help you know it, it happens with every movie i mean it's it's all uh, it all depends on who's in there you know it, your reaction could be totally different that you experience right. um i didn't i didn't feel any energy there but it was also an older crowd i noticed um it, it seemed like it was you know women in their like 40s 50s um and this might be something that plays better to 20-somethings and 30-somethings. Right. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, I'm a 20-something. I hated it. So, so <laughs> um, who knows? Is it a, a built-in audience that has read the book, which isn't too old? Isn't it like three, four years old, something like that? Yeah, I don't think that's significant enough. Um, it, it Definitely not in terms of, you know... I don't. I don't think it's it's that it's going to have that much of an impact in the way that you know the help did. That's a much more popular book. And yeah, it's uh, the help is amazing because it's it's like accidentally popular. You know, like I don't think any like you say all the the critics didn't think you know they all gave it their bad reviews and there was all this upset about it, but it just caught fire anyway. You know. Because of word of mouth, it's really weird. You you sort of forget because the box office m- machine is in motion, and the, you know, everything seems to kind of go as planned. But you always, it's always amazing to watch a movie like really just organically take off like that. You know, mm-hmm. it's always yeah, surprising it's... to me because the people who think they know really don't know. You know what necessarily is going to p- appeal to people. Like you don't ne- you don't watch a movie with your brain half half the time sometimes you watch it you know for other reasons and you're you're moved by the story and you care about the characters and you know in a way that's a successful movie it's not politically correct and it's damaging to people in a lot of ways but you know the magic of movies is always uh has always been a mystery to me and it remains so mm-hmm. well you have to put things into perspective i mean it's it's really important to remember that you know the national average of um, you know how many times somebody goes to the movies in a year is like it's around four, so you know we're we're sitting there and we're seeing you know close to a hundred or, or more movies a year. We we become jaded. It's right, yeah. You know you don't see it through the same eyes. You have to kind of just erase that when you go to see something like this. I mean I remember seeing Blindside, um, and you know saying to myself, okay, I, I'm not crazy about this, but. I can see why this is as successful as it is. Yeah. And that, that exact same thing is happening with the help. you got to just remove yourself from it temporarily and, and put yourself in the minds of you know, somebody who goes to the movies four times a year. And if that's the case, then you're going to go crazy about something right. like this. And um, if, you're, if you're dealing with, with whitey guilt, you know, which people do, um, these movies are here to kind of help them feel better <laughs> about their life. Of course, life. that's why Precious was as successful. Yeah, it, it played, they played it. Wow, that's white guilt 100%. <laughs> Absolutely, they play to the white majority, you know, and I mean, there's there's still a reason, I say it all the time, but there's a reason why there, there, aren't, there aren't any black women on the cover of Vogue or any of those, you know, the, you know, if you're really talking about big money and box office, you're, you're talking about a white audience, and this movie, sadly, appeals to white people who feel badly about a lot of things, you know, not just their their own lives, but, you know, the, our history. And somehow this movie massages that a little bit. See, we really did do good. <laughs> yeah, thanks, everybody. We yeah, had good intentions. Yep. <laughs> we did good. We did good. We did good. And Sandra Bullock in the blind side. See what a great, nice, white Christian lady she is. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it's like, and then of course in both movies, the the black people have to be so humble with their heads down and never defiant, never mean, never not. God forbid they should show any you know anger or. Yeah, the uh, the hip hop homies in the project. That right. She, uh, but faced she, up. Uh, she threatens with a knot with a gun. Or whatever. She she ripped their ass apart. So. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, good lord, help me. But in, at least in in the help, I can say, <clears throat> no, it, I don't think that the filmmakers intended to make it a racist movie. I think that they intended to tell the story as, as you know as, as well as they possibly could, and you know there are more interesting nuances in the black characters in that movie than in, than in the Blind Side, which was you know a joke. It was like you know, it was like magical Negro times ten. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but in the Help, they're allowed, you know, like she's allowed to to you know, you know, make a shit pie or whatever and be defiant to that woman and 
you know, I liked that about it. I liked the full characters of, of Octavia David, uh, Octavia Spencer and Viola Davis, both of them. You know, I, I would really like those characters. I thought the actresses well, pulled it off. Yeah, well, it's really unfortunate that there's still such a lack of, you know, intelligent, strong African-American characters in movies. I mean, totally. And, 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 look at, and look at the one that the films that are successful are, you know, Tyler Perry's junk. Right. And that stuff is, I, I 100% agree with Spike Lee on that. That's, you know, New Millennium Minstrel Show crap. Yeah. Um, you know, and that that's what's successful and that's what the, the response to, but... Yeah, because it's not even. It, it's funny because it's. It's now that I'm seeing it this way, I see it as it's. The lack of characters is a direct reflection of the unwillingness of a white audience to accept those changes and accept, you know, um, us as being equal. You know, I'm sorry to say, in 2011, it's just not seen that way. There, you know, it's easier for us to look at them as as victimized. You know, it's some yeah. a, a whole race of people to feel sorry for. But only if they're not violent and threatening, you know. Mm-hmm. God forbid there should be an angry male Negro in the movie, <laughs> 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 waving a bat or whatever. I mean, unleash that violence, and and you, you see you see some scared, fucking white people. Yeah, well, it's a lot of people say that about um, not to get political or, or veer off here, but the, a lot of people think that's Obama. why Obama yeah. can't get aggressive. That's yeah. why he. That's Absolutely. really why the, it's the it's the thing of the albatross around his neck, around our all our necks, which is that he could be a tough uh, liberal, a guy who just says, "This is uh, what I am. This is who we are." Uh, I think most people don't want to hang back with the dinosaur, uh, psychotic. Tea Party people, and this is ridiculous, and I'm going to do this, and the hell with you. You know, if you want to vote me out, go ahead, but this is what I'm doing because I'm the president. He won't do that. He can't do that because he has to be mild-mannered because he can't be angry, and it's awful. It's just awful to sit there and just watch him slowly die on the vine, and, you know, and I'm not going to vote against him in 2012, but I'm so disappointed in the mild-mannered thing. It just infuriates me. Well, then, you, you'll have to welcome your next president, Rick Perry. Thank you very much. <laughs> Perry Congratulations, left-wingers. This is who you get. No, I, I, you know, it's, it's just wrong what, what Barack has failed to do. He won't do. He determ- He's decided. I'm not saying he's unwise about it, but he's. it's horrible uh, to, to feel that, that he just will do nothing but just be the reasonable adult in the room who, in a very mild sort of corporate kowtowing way, doesn't really push anything of any, of any uh, you know, anything that, that, that lights your spirit up. You know, everything is just kind of like mild-mannered, uh, you know, custodial management. It's just really dull. And um, I know that, that, that if I say anything like that, that means Rick Perry gets stronger. But I, I Of don't. course. I mean, you know, that's the thing is like wake up call. I think it was easy for people to really have a hard time with Obama because he wasn't, you know, standing up to, to, to the right wingers. And he, he seems to be just kind of right in line with every other president we've ever had. You know what I mean? It's not like he's any different from Bill Clinton. You know, he just doesn't get up to the mic and he doesn't act like an asshole. You know, and it's like that's probably what people want. They don't really necessarily care if he does things or not, but they want him to act like an asshole. You know, yeah. and he doesn't do yeah, that. Yeah, but he, he he runs a great campaign. I mean, I, I you know people are already kind of right writing him off and saying, well, he's going to be one term. You know, let the guy campaign again. But you know, I think we forget how strong, you know, right? Because you know, remember, Hillary was the, the front runner for the longest time, and that was kind of considered like a done deal. Mm-hmm. And then he just came in and totally. Destroyed things. Yeah, and I, uh, I, I think Hillary would have gotten a worse treatment than Obama. And my fear was, I was a Hillary supporter early on because I thought, no way, man, they're going to turn Obama into Carter, and that's it. You know, they're they're just going to make mincemeat out of him. It's going to be so easy. He's so young and he's inexperienced, and they did it. You know, and I watched it happen, and it's really disappointing to see it all play out. And now people are saying, oh, Hillary should have been in. Well, no, no, it would have been worse. I think. It would have been. Um, it wouldn't have been a, a cakewalk for her, but I, I feel I I I'm sorry to to admit that I I think um, that she would have at least I don't think she would have uh, knuckled under to the to the insanity uh, of the right these days. And there really is the crazy party. I mean, it's that used to be a Bill Maher punchline. 
on uh, on you know, real time, but it, they really are. I mean, really, the 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 moderate uh, the, the Mitt Romney types they're they're really out. Uh, they don't have the the heat or the fire with the with the people that are voting in the primaries. I know, and it was all fine and well until Rick Perry was in the picture. You know, it's like it was it was about these ineffectual Republicans who none of them could win. You know, but he can win, Rick Perry. He can win absolutely. He's a creationist. He's an idiot, but he can win. You've, did you read this piece? Well, there was a thing uh, in the Observer, te- Texas Observer, about how he's in li- aligned with a sect of, of Christian fundamentalists, uh, not dissimilar from Islamic fundamentalism. It basically, he's called Dominionism. Dominionism. Great. And he and Michelle Bachman uh, basically put simply, according to this article in um, uh, the Daily Beast by Michelle Goldberg, um, put simply, Dominionism means that Christians have a God-given right to rule all earthly institutions, uh, originating uh, among some of America's most radical theocrats, uh, long had an influence on religious right education, et cetera, et cetera. But it's, it, before, it seemed so outre, uh, getting ordinary people to take it seriously, et cetera. But uh, it's really a real thing as far as these guys are concerned. Did we just lose somebody? <laughs> no, I'm just trying to talk on the thing. I just want to let you guys He was trying to chat now. and politely leave. Yeah. So he's got to go. So we'll just say goodbye to yeah. Phil. Okay. Thanks, Phil. Is there anything else okay. we need to talk? We wasted all of our time talking about politics. Do we need to do box office at all? <laughs> well, we could talk a little. Let's. Um, I'll, I'll bring up next week in a bit here. Um, it's our idiot brother in Colombiana and Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. Um, that's, enough, I, that's a very, very underwhelming film. Which one? Don't Be Afraid of the Dark? Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. Have you seen Our Idiot Brother yet? I'm, I'm just, curious about. I did see that. That's a mildly okay little thing. It's basically, uh, it's about, you know, Paul Rudd is a, uh, a guy who has no sense of what is politically uh, smart or wise to, to say in, in mixed company. He just, he's a, he's a sort of a, he's not an idiot savant. He's a, an idiot, uh, socially speaking. He has no, uh, you know, like emotional intelligence. Uh, you know, you're supposed to, what, if you have something that you feel strongly, you know, you say it in a certain way, social graces and sort of thing. He doesn't have that. And yet he's the truth teller, the person who kind of writes everybody's life or at least introduces a strain of uh, honesty that they have been suppressing because they're too political or something. So it's, it's not a terrible film. It's not, I, I got what it was saying. It's, it's okay. So do you think the same, you know, I love you man crowd will go for it or is it a little too quirky and, and out there for, for mainstream well, digestion? Basically saying that the, uh, the, the guy who's, uh, who has no real... Uh, political skills or hasn't adapted to life in 2011 and is basically, uh, you know, kind of a stoner pothead who doesn't get anything. He's kind of a, an adolescent that he performs a kind of necessary function in our society because we need guys like that. Uh, I don't know if that's I love you, man. That It's not broad humor <laughs> like that. It's more um, a gentle, a little emotional lesson about screwed up a lot of people are and that you kind of need a, sim- a simpleton like Paul Rudd's character in your life because he introduces a kind of, you know, clarity for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, then it sounds like no, it's not going to hit the I love you, man, crowd, which we weren't expecting anyway. Which is fine, whatever. I, I like Paul Rudd. I mean, I'm looking forward yeah. to Do you think that the help, I I think it'll have no trouble getting a Best Picture nomination. All the women will put it at number one. But do you think that, um, uh, how much do you think it's going to make, Phil, ultimately? Um, Yeah, I I can see it doing, ending up maybe somewhere in the range of 130 to 150. So not, not, because wasn't Blindside over 200 million? Or am I? Oh, yeah, no, it it won't get, it won't get to that point. Why is that? Why do you think that? Um, It's just not, I don't know how to, my finger on it here. Um, Sanctimonious, and it doesn't have a. I think it's the sports thing. Like a lot of football fans went to see uh, the Blind Side. You know, okay. Yeah, I think Blind Side was guys were okay going to it. You know, the help they're kind of getting roped into it, whereas right. you know, it, it was a little bit different there. And um, yeah, the, the, I think Sasha nails it. I mean, the sports, the, the uplifting sports side of it, really broadens the audience considerably. And, yeah, for and, sure. Um, and the running time, I think, hurts um, the help a bit because it's what, like, two hours, seventeen minutes, right? I think. Oh wow, yeah. It's a little bit, a little bit. Uh, I don't want to say clunky, but you know, if some, it, that might hurt repeated viewings, and it also hurts um, the amount of show times. You know, theaters can get in a day. You know, that's funny. I I had not 
meditated upon the fact that it's two hours and seventy. That is a little bit long for a film like this. Um, I'm, I'm a little surprised that it um, that it, that it is that long. I, I, if I were releasing, I would have said, "Can't we get it down to more like one twenty or even one fifteen? An hour and fifteen. Yeah, or oh, yeah, then minutes. I think. Going to see it twice becomes a much easier decision for a lot of people. But they, you know, you know, back of their head, oh, there's, you know, I'm gonna. I already saw the movie. Do I really want to invest another, you know? Well, I mean, by the time you get to the movies, what trailers, everything, another three hours of your your life to see it again. Right. Next, next week, also, Sasha and I, uh, our favorite film, Bright and Rock, will open on the 26th. Uh, we're being facetious. We think it's pretty old. Uh, <laughs> the poor thing, it's gonna bomb. It's just gonna sink like a stone. Yeah. There's a, a, a interesting, but not frankly, I don't think that not very good uh, documentary about Bernie Madoff. Um, uh, I don't think that's going to do much. That's a you know, it, docs are limited anyway. Of course, there's a, a drug movie with a, a you know, a, a Colombiana. You know, it's um, a La Femme Nikita with um, uh, what's the name from you know? Uh, Zoe Zaldana. Do you think oh. it's going to make a lot of money? Film the Colombiana. Uh, not really. I mean, right now we're at nine million for the opening weekend, and and it'll be really front loaded in a movie like that. So, um, it's there's a kind of a, a limited audience for that, mm, I think. Mm-hmm. And she's not. I mean, you know, we know her. We know that she was in Avatar, but mainstream audiences really don't. <laughs> there's not that level of awareness when it comes to that. So, there, you know, it looks like uh, if you look at the trailer for two seconds, it's obviously junk. It's really junk. You can tell. Yeah, it's pulp. Yeah, crap. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So. Okay. Well. So uh, a little tiny movie called Swinging with the Finkels. That uh, penetrated anybody's radar? Yeah. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> it's about a couple that feels that they're getting stale and they decide to get into swinging with other couples. Oh, okay. Nice. <laughs> Style releasing, and um, uh, Mandy Moore is one of the is one of the leads. Martin Freeman, Jonathan Silverman, who's you know, a uh, pretty pretty smart actor. Uh, but I'll tell you, I, I was looking at the trailer for that this morning, and I was going, "Oh my God, do I not want to see this?" I know. And hello, like Mandy Moore in real life, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I don't buy that for a second. <laughs> well, what am I getting about Mandy Moore? Is there something about her that is averse to swinging? I'm not. No, under- she's just you know young, vivacious, beautiful, right? Absolute prime. You know, it's not right. really the kind of thing. I mean, swinging is sort of a thing you do after you're you're kind of bored or you're you know. Uh, you've been married a while, and you know. Hey, this is a you're true a story. You're a little rough around the edges. True story. Myself, I was in Manhattan. <laughs> uh, young, uh, <laughs> enterprising journalist going around. You know, on <laughs> 79 or so. No, actually, more like 80. And a couple uh, met, I met at a party said, "Do you want to come up to Greenwich, Connecticut, with us? We're going to a party up there." Drive up to Greenwich, Connecticut. It's like ten o'clock at night. What's the? What do you mean? I mean, what's the? You know, well, it's like you know, it was just, basically it was a scene, you know. Uh, and the wife was interested, and then the husband with his mustache and his big polyester shirt. I went, oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> horrifying uh, prospect ever put before me. Uh, that's the closest I ever got. Uh, when are you going to write a book, Jeff? I, I, want, I, I want your so, Yes, I told him he needs to write a book. God, he, Jeff, you really would write the best book. I, I would. Uh, you thought I was going to tell you a story about being a swinger. I mean, I I'm did. not that coach, honestly. I, I never uh, got even close to that. I never even went to Plato's Retreat. <laughs> oh, do swinging. Well, Phil, thank you every for your box office insight. Yeah, thanks again for having me, guys. Talk to you soon. So there's nothing to look forward to next weekend. But... <laughs> we just don't want you to go, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the 31st is going to be dead, and then then uh, starts the September. And as far as my focus and Sasha's and everybody else, then it becomes Telluride, Toronto, and everybody just stops yeah. thinking about uh, what's the next movie just uh, of any kind, uh, dimension, any, any what's going to happen that's going to get people going again? Nothing. I and mean, what about uh, September 2nd? That's going to be uh, Apollo 18. It's going to be uh, uh, Love Crime. Um, you know, I think the, Dark- the big one early in September is Contagion. Or am I pronouncing it right? I don't know. How, yeah, Contagion. Contagion. There we go. Yeah, there we yeah. go. 
September. Uh, and what about, um, however, what about, um, we didn't even talk about what happened with, with Fright Night, which is a pretty well-known 80s horror film, and it's 3D, and it uh, looks like it was pretty well-written. With uh, Didn't that ha nothing happen there either this week? Yeah, it's a flop, boom, you know, with a thud. Uh, Eight million, you know, dead on arrival, pretty much. I mean, because, you know, <laughs> horror movies are very front-loaded, so it's not like it's going to all of a sudden miraculously, you know, find its audience. If they didn't show up opening weekend, they're not going to, so... Mm. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. Thanks for playing. <laughs> yeah, thanks for showing up. <laughs> so. Did you see it? I didn't even see it myself. No, I'm not even. I, I might catch it. I mean, I heard it's not half bad, but yeah, if, if I get around to the kind of thing. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I'll watch that on HBO when it comes on. So, Sasha, did you get invited to at least a little screening of it? Contagion? Mm -hmm. No, I'm not. Uh, I mean, yeah, no, I did. I got invited to Fright Night. I just never went. <clears throat> sorry, people, publicists. <laughs> I'm sorry I didn't go. Oh. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, thanks again, guys. Thanks, Will. Thanks. Bye. Bye. So we're, um, uh, you know, that's really like this is the deadest part of the year, so I don't know what to say. <laughs> Well, we could talk about. Well, so you haven't seen Vera Farmiga in. Um, oh yeah, you thought you tell us about that. What you thought? Higher ground. I'll see it tomorrow night. What did you think? Well, it was interesting because as you were talking about um, Rick Perry and his weird um, relationship with that strange Christian sect, mm -hmm. um, it reminded me of that movie. And I hope that somehow this movie gets enough attention that people see it right during election time. Well, they won't, right? Because. Well, it's not going to be till next year. Probably last that long. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately. But it, it's a good, I mean, it's, you know, it's a little movie. It's an indie. Uh, Vera Farmiga directed it and stars in it. Her daughter actually plays her as a teenager, which is one of the coolest things about it. She's She looks just like her, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and she's good. The little daughter is really, really good. Um, now, you said, though, that the film has uh, what you consider to be a fairly crucial problem, which that it, it does not address uh, money and finances. Right. Yeah, I don't know if it's a crucial problem, but it, it leaves an open question as to how they survive. How do they, you know, who, who brings in the bread and, and uh, if there's a divorce that's going to happen, how, who, you know, who funds that? And none of the sort of details are worked out. It's much more about her inner spiritual journey away from uh, Christian fanaticism. And what I liked about it was that it shows Christian fanaticism to be as intense as, uh, you know, oh, God, this is a horrible thing to say. You know, it'll get people so mad. But, you know, Muslim fanaticism um, or any other religion that represses women and makes you think a certain way and doesn't open up your mind to, to outside uh, influences or, mm -hmm. like, for instance, when she goes into the library, she wants to read Lord of the Flies and they won't let her, you know. Um, she's just a curious, intelligent person who, whose mind starts to drift away from the doctrine, you know, that they're they're shoving down her throat. So the movie is to me really interesting, but it's probably more interesting for people who are religious or spiritual, you know, or who are on a quest. I'm not so much at all. You so know, people, that part of it wasn't interesting to me. Become people who become, uh, they 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 lose interest in, in faith, they lose interest in religion when something horrible happens to a friend or perhaps a, a family member. You know, they look up at the sky, clench their fists and say, what kind of a God would allow you know, my three-year-old daughter to get uh, bone cancer and, and die? You know, or mm. what, what kind of a God would allow my, uh, my frail, beautiful old mom to get hit by a, a garbage truck, you know, when she happened to be outside for, you know, it, right. life is horrible. You know, what is, kind of, what kind of universe uh, allows this kind of stuff? To so I am not a believer anymore. That's sort of like a person going to, um, uh, a, you know, a casino in Vegas and they lose their money. Yeah. And, you know, what kind of a casino is this? Exactly. Like, you're killed you're so at the right. tables. <laughs> yeah, it's very different. You can't. Yeah. Your faith. I mean, I don't. I'm speaking as someone who really doesn't believe in anything, um, except na the natural order of things. Um, you know, you live, you die. You're you're <clears throat> you're an organic, you know, organism. You you 
decompose, you are fertilizer to the next thing. Like, I don't really believe in the soul or an afterlife or anything like that. I just think we have the bad luck of having really big brains, and so we need a way to deal with that consciousness, and God is the way, you know. We're inclined toward worship. That's why we have celebrities, and um, it's just part of our natural makeup to want to to want to see things as having a deeper meaning than they probably do. I don't know f- f- for sure, of course, because nobody does, right? But um, there's nothing about the Christian religion that that makes me comfortable with believing that any of that could be true. Not even just true, but useful. Like, I, I can't even imagine being in that kind of a thinking mode. But, you know, that God will answer all. And I mean, if you're going to look at things God did, <clears throat> if you want to justify why he seems like a guy who really needs to be fired and another God put in his place is the Holocaust, you know? It sort of starts and ends there. Sure, it's not a Christian thing, but six million Jews taken to camps and killed people who were devoted to God... Mm-hmm. That ends it, you know. Yeah, of course. That ends that argument. It doesn't even have to be a personal thing for you. Mm-hmm. But you know, and and it's also like Woody Allen's line from Hannah and Her Sisters, where he says, "If Jesus came back and saw what was going on in his name, he'd never stop throwing up." And <laughs> it's so true that the most embarrassing part, and I think Vera Farmiga does this really well in the movie, is she shows, you know, Jesus speaks through me all the people who take his name and 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 do like George Bush saying you know God told him to to invade Iraq or whatever it was you know people who use God to justify their actions or use Jesus Christ you know that's unforgivable that stuff you know mm-hmm. and it's embarrassing it's funny though the uh i i completely agree with everything you're saying but there's uh Talents has uh, disparate as Tennessee Williams and uh, the guy who wrote *Spirit of St. Louis*. They put in these notions, and I and I and I have always melted at the idea of 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 uh, some kind of indefinable, undefinable force or the fate of things, opening and allowing for moments of grace and kindness in the arc of a person's life. Mm. And they feel that something has uh, perhaps. Uh, the some kind of karma thing has has, has you know kicked in in a, in a favorable way, and you know it's when people who are don't understand anything who pray to God that they will do better at the lottery, you know. <laughs> uh, the uh, the people that go to these uh, you know revival meetings, basically, uh, the particularly African American revival meetings, you know, the hustlers who said, you know, God wants you to be uh, prosperous, you know, and if you pray hard enough and give enough money to our ministry, that will certainly, you know, uh, weigh in your favor as far as becoming yeah, a right. Corrupt. Uh, That's just horrifying. But, you know, it's it's like we, we can't, we don't, I don't think most of us have the capacity to accept mm-hmm. the blankness of yeah. what life really is. And I think that that that's the case when someone dies and we look for conspiracies you know we can't accept that a freak accident could have killed someone or mm. that you know there always has to be a reason and you know that that part of our brain is is really cool that we you know seek a higher answer and that we're always curious and we're not we're not satisfied with just the simplest explanation you know why is it cool for people who want to, to uh, understand the quote unquote reason for uh, horrible things happening to certain people in a completely random uh, fashion. I think because for me, I think it's a, because what, what's a, a, amazing about human beings is our forward motion with our intellect. You know, we're, we're always we're always you know reaching for higher. You know, it's it's, it's always that you know mm-hmm. if a man's what is that saying about exceeding your grasp? Then what's a heaven for? You know, I mean, that's what's to me so amazing about people is that their minds are always reaching. You know, and that's the miraculous thing about us, and that's the thing that creates art and literature and love and everything else. You know, there's we're always looking for a deeper meaning and a deeper reason why. You know, all these people that walk around the planet thinking there's a reason for me to be here. God has a plan for me, right? You mean? All the billions of people on the planet, God has a plan for. Really, he must be a really busy guy. 
<laughs> I mean, okay, you're going to do this, and you're going you're gonna to live a life of quiet desperation <laughs> because I don't really like you that much. <laughs> and you, you're going to be president. And you, you know. So to me, it's bullshit. But it's fine if people believe that. I, I can respect and admire that part of humans that, that seek that kind of higher answer, you know. I, I've uh, finally, I, I actually wrote this today uh, about higher ground because I feel, I feel that, uh, um, that that the those who believe in Christian theology and Islamic theology and those who's, who live life in search of a certain kind of divine guidance uh, because they, at, at least people who do subscribe to, they, they follow the flock, as it were. They... Uh, it it kind of takes care of um, uh, the the the, uns- the people who need that. Uh, there are a lot of people obviously who want or need that in their life, and um, these are people who, if they did not have an organized religion, because they want some other force or entity to carry the awful burden of just you know surviving and and the the you know the the Woody Allen concept, the nothingness of life. They want uh, some answer that to clasp to their breast as they move along, yeah. uh, people who would let, probably otherwise be seeking solace in, in, in alcohol or drugs or sure. you know, uh, some antisocial cult leaders I wrote. So, I no, I, I think that's fine. I mean, if it, if, if, you know, when you, when you join AA, um, you need to really embrace a higher power because you have to give up your own inability to control your impulses. Right. And God is supposed to help with that. And, you know, who can begrudge anyone getting any sort of fulfillment from that? Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's just becomes dangerous when it starts to trample on the rights of people, and especially women and children and, you know, and, and the people like David Koresh who take the Lord's, you know, who, who are fa- false prophets. And, you know, it's just, it's so like human beings to take something like that and corrupt it, you know, that is like our grace and our, our evil, you know, we're, 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 we're both, we're God, we have a God of carnage as much as we do a God of (laughs) peace and love, you know, (laughs) so, um, I don't know. I don't know. This, 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 this podcast devolved into like the belief net, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but you know, as far as Sunday and uh, and there is that story that I was talking about the Dominion uh, cult. There, there really is a link uh, between Bachman and Perry and the Dominions, uh, Dominionists, if you will, Dominionism. It really is real. I mean, it's not a uh, kind of a liberal think piece just trying to you know make make them look bad because they're uh, from the wrong side of the political spectrum. This is actually a genuine thing. Uh, well, and I think that I feel, I don't know if you do, but I feel a sense of fear um, throughout the population for global warming and the economy. There's there's fear in the air. And I think at that, in those times, they, they don't want a loosey-goosey, wishy-washy um, president. They want somebody like Rick Perry or George Bush or Ronald Reagan who are going to make them think that everything's okay, you know. And then the guy comes in and he does terrible things for the country. But, you know, I think that, that that's what's making the opening. I don't think people are going to feel secure putting Obama back in the in the White House because of that, you know, because there's such palpable fear. And I think that his religious fanaticism is only going to help him, Rick help. Perry. All right, yeah. Sadly. But uh, I don't really think that, uh, you know, the more he... He's only been in the game for... Um, um, a week, week and a half. I know, but you know, it was like that with George Bush when he came around. I said, "Oh, he's going to be president," because you just look at their face and you can tell. You know, if they have charisma, they look good on TV. Um, they are the the right person for the part. You know, to play the role, you can just tell. Right. X Factor. Well, I don't know that he's going to uh, hold up uh, over the long run. I I I think that most people the the, the the uh, election uh, for president is always determined by the moderate, independent middle. Those are the ones who say yay or nay to the to the final election of whoever wins. And he's um, he's clearly not a middle type of fellow. He's a very he's dip- far right. You think? No, I don't think he's far right. He is far. Right. He is far right. I need to read up more on him because, like you say, he just sort of came out of nowhere. Um, to become a, such a viable, can, strong candidate. I mean, all you can hope, let's see, Obama has to pull something out of his hat, like 
killing Osama bin Laden, you know, or some horrible thing has to come out about Rick Perry. <laughs> you know, other than that, he's going to be our next president. Is that real hair on his head or is it fake? It's just supercuts. He's known as supercuts in Texas, uh, partly because his hair has that supercuts uh, type of style that people get when they go to that uh, chain, uh, that, that hairdressing chain. Right. And so because he cuts a lot in terms of social programs and he's very, very uh, much of a kowtowing corporate fellating. Oh, guy. great. Yeah. That's just great. Yeah. Wonderful. Oh, well. Uh, the, the dominionism, just to make it clear, I didn't quite get to say, uh, Christians have an obligation, a mandate, a commission, a holy responsibility to reclaim the land for Jesus Christ, to have dominion in civil structures, just as in every other aspect uh, of life and godliness. This is a guy named George Grant, who's former exec director of Coral Ridge Ministries, which has uh, since changed its name to Truth in Action Ministries. It is dominion, but it is dominion we are after, not just a voice. It is dominion that we are after, not just equal time, but world conquest. Mm. You know, that this is end times and that Christians have to, uh, you know, uh, realize their, their destiny, which is to finally, you know, uh, stand up and really, uh, like, um, you know, run, run the world in God's, um, God's way. Yeah, you know? right, right. And if Jesus came back today and saw what was going yeah. on in his name, he'd never <laughs> stop throwing up. Um, so I was looking on Rick Perry's page, his page, and it says, statement by Governor Rick Perry, blah, blah, blah. Court ruling on Obamacare. This was August 12th, and he writes at the end of it, I am hopeful that we will soon see an end to the unprecedented and massive federal overreach of Obamacare. Can we just say that Obamacare is just what the Republicans put forth? It's not even a left-wing thing. It's like a Republican no, it's, it's thing. The most pathetically watered-down health uh, and, uh, bill that could have come about. Uh, it's uh, along the lines of what Romney did in Massachusetts. It's pretty, pretty mild... Uh, it's very mild, and, and but it's this lightning rod suddenly. It's this thing that they're using, Obamacare, you know? It's yeah. like, it's the thing that is ruining our government. It's the most ridiculous, absurd, I just can't even believe this is happening before our eyes, but there it is. Uh, another article in the Daily Beast uh, notes that uh, Perry, on his very first week out there, and he knew that, you know, people would be listening to every word because, he, you know, when you start making your speeches the first week, you are definitely going to get paid attention to big time. Mm. He declared that global warming is a hoax perpetrated by scientists greedy oh. for grant money. Great. Um, well, he's going to be on Bill Maher's shit list, that's for sure. <laughs> Bill Maher is going to be hating on him. That's good. He's a, he's a, he's a real Texas Yahoo maniac. And he's, um, it's not excessive to describe him in that way. He is about as, um, fanatical in his, um, in his convictions. I mean, they are convictions. He's, he's saying them, uh, with great earnestness on the stump. He's not just, uh, you know, he's not an alcoholic from what I know. He's a, he's a sober man who really believes this stuff. So I don't... Uh, I'd like to see if he has any ties to Karl Rove. No, Karl Rove is part of the Bush, the Bush camp. He's a longtime Bushy, and they uh, have arguments with Rick Perry. Okay, so... Um, they, their, their staff, at least, has had arguments. I mean, uh, on for the record, Rick Perry will say he's a great admirer of, 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 of G.W. Bush, and, he's, um, and they're fine together. But the staffs have uh, no love for each other, according well, to... Well, I just looked on Politico... And there's an there's an e an article about uh, Paul Burka. It says um, the email title of this email this is a sort of a random comment, but I wanted to see if there was a connection between them. And it says the subject line was Carl Rove created Rick Perry. Now can he stop him? So like he's I guess there was a connection between them, and now there's no more connection. So that's interesting. <laughs> Okay, well, I didn't know about that. My understanding is that Karl Rove is the guy who created George Bush. I never heard about him creating Rick Perry, but I'd, um, I, I don't know uh, everything, and I sure... No, I know. It, it sounds to me, yeah, like uh, they did have a connection, but now it seems like he, that maybe um, Karl Rove has a different guy in mind uh, for president, but Karl Rove's the one to watch, you know? He's the one that's pulling the strings, <laughs> partly, and then the Koch brothers and all those other guys, you know? I'd just like to know who's behind Perry. I'd like to know the powers that... Uh... Well, the corporate people are behind Perry for openers in Texas. He's quite 
uh, you know, he's quite uh, devoted to that, uh, to the to the money stream, and that's what he's been. That's what all uh, righties are basically about. Yeah, and this article on the moderated voice says, "Is Rick Perry? I mean, is Rick Perry Carl Rove's Frankenstein monster? Yeah. So it looks like he created him, and now he can't kill him." <laughs> <laughs> so. All right, this is a dead week. I, I know. know. Sorry, sorry. We didn't have much to talk about. Um, I do think. I guess one more thing we could say about Oscar is that the Gurus of Gold is about to send out their first. He just sent us a thing to ask us what our top ten movies were. And um, so, and I, I just went as soon as it came in my inbox. I just my heart sunk because it's like okay, so now it's time to to really start putting our ducks in a row, and looking at the movies that people think are going to be the Oscar movies, right? So, and that doesn't mean anything. All it means is that Warhorse is going to come in at number one. You know, he is uh, asking at this point what films that uh, do people in his group, in the Guru's group, believe are the most likely uh, conventional wisdom favorites for best picture. That's yeah. what he's saying. Don't put this on your site, though. <laughs> Please. Just wait till it comes out and then post about it. I mean, here it is on the podcast, but. I'm just saying, you know, if you put it on your site, he's going to he's probably throw me off. Although I, I could not, I could maybe, I'm not the one who told you that they were yeah. sent out. Maybe somebody else did, you know, right? Yep. I guess um, I, I don't think there's anything too radical in that. Everybody pretty much knows the ones that will most likely be, uh, you know. Well, I can tell you exactly right now what the top five are going to be at least. It's going to be Warhorse, <clears throat> Extremely Loud, Incredibly Close, um, girl with the dragon tattoo. Uh, what am I forgetting? What are the big Oscar? Oh, the Descendants. March, Iron Lady. Ides of March, right? Iron Lady probably not for Best Picture. I'm I'm guessing those are the five right now. We bought a five. zoo, possibly. Yeah, in the ten. Yeah. We bought a zoo, but all this is is Oscars on paper. I really need to stress it. I feel like I'm the only one who says it, and nobody else does. They just take gurus of gold as if it's mean as anything. It means nothing. All it means is that people who usually follow the race take a look at the names involved in the subject matter, and they think, oh, yeah, that looks like an Oscar movie. But it means nothing until people see it, really. Trust me. It just means nothing. So it's just like spitballing and for fun and Oscar ads. You know, Oscar ad money. That's what it's all about. <laughs> So, I'm gonna bet that I'm gonna bet you right now the war horse comes in at number one. I would presume that because uh, who's got an argument with with a with a sad horse? Uh, who cannot feel um, the um, you know the pathos in a in a horse or an animal of any kind? Obviously, being mistreated in the same way that uh, Robert Bresson's film was very moving. Yeah, uh, but they're, they're looking at it in terms of it's Spielberg, it's a period British film, and it's a tearjerker, and it won the Tony. So those are all the reasons why people are going to think it's the movie to beat, you know? Uh, it's... Um, Did you ever see that movie? Um, I don't... Uh, I, I, the, I have a feeling that it's going to be kind of like a, I'm going to have a kind of a King's Beach reaction to it. I have a feeling. Uh, I shouldn't say that. I should just... You know, I don't think you will. Happen. Well, you might. But, I, I mean, there's a big difference between poor, sad, stuttering King <laughs> compared to, you know, poor people and a horse and, and war. and you know, I mean, somebody going to war, that's a real thing. That's not, I can't speak before my people. <laughs> So, oh, it was such an infuriating movie. Oh well. I don't think he has uh, the. Uh, I don't trust him at all. I don't think. I think his instincts are very uh, uh, crowd. Uh, uh, he tries to basically just go right down into the sentimental middle of most films. I thought he was. Uh, he had really accomplished something really startling. Almost, I was amazed by how good War of the World was. Uh, it was. Uh, it was just, I just felt it was a real throttle, high throttle movie. And then he completely destroyed it at the end by having the young kid, uh, Tom Cruise's son, who had run off into uh, sort of hand-to-hand -hand combat with the Martians, you know. And he was certainly, because everybody was getting destroyed by the Martians with their ray blasts and everything, and to have him suddenly be back at the house uh, of his 
parents, uh, played by, of all people, Jean Barry and what's-her-name, who were in the original War of the Worlds. Hmm. So that was so Spielberg. That's where he God, I don't, lives. I don't you know, even remember it. He gilds the lily, is what he does. Like, even with Schindler's List, which is, you know, maybe his best movie. Probably uh, is, yeah. I mean, I think Jaws is his best movie, but if you want to say, like, his best, most important film, you know, at, at a certain point, like, Jaws, for instance, doesn't gild the lily. That's a perfect movie, but that's because he was being watched for everything. He had, to, he had something to prove. Mm-hmm. But when he became, started believing his own publicity, where it's Spielbergian and it's childlike and it's sappy and sentimental... You know, like, for instance, Schindler's List at the end, it, it wasn't enough that we just saw this whole movie. He had to do that whole thing with, you know, I could have saved them, I could have saved them. Well, that's implicit. You don't need to say that. We already know that he felt that way, you know. So yeah. I thought that he kind of blew it at the end there. Not that it matters what I think, you know, but... You, do you feel that the color sequence where um, the survivors were kind of paying uh, tribute or respect to him, uh, that didn't deliver closure, but that was more milking or gilding? The lily? I don't think so. I thought that was okay. I didn't like the part where Liam Neeson breaks down at the end. Yeah. yeah. Um, in my, at the time I saw it, I didn't like that. Maybe, I, you know, how you forgive these things over time. You forgive the things that you hated to begin with, but yeah, the sentimental stuff always ages badly. Uh, the things that you remember are the non-sentimental, uh, high realism elements. Like the when I think back to that film, I think of Ben Kingsley's performance, and I remember that woman who was strong enough to uh, who said to uh, to uh, to Goethe, our Armin. Mm. about how he was building something incorrectly, and he had her shot. Um, and she said something about God will, somebody, you know, God will, will, will not uh, love you oh, for this. All and of that is so good. The whole thing with Rafe Fiennes. I think there's something wrong with me that I think that Rafe Fiennes in that part is one of the sexiest characters ever put to screen. <laughs> I don't know why. It just seemed a little on the gross side. They gave him a kind of a pot belly and he had this kind of. He uh, was hot, man. He yeah. was hot. Yeah, he was really cute in that. But so was Gene Hackman in The French Connection. You know, sometimes the bad guys are the really sexy ones. Okay. I don't know why. I fell in love with Ray Fiennes in that movie and, and because he was so good, but he was so good looking, too. You know, I liked him with weight on him. When he, then when he dropped all the weight, he didn't look as good to me anymore. Okay. Funny, isn't it? But um, anyway, so blah, blah, blah. What were we saying? <laughs> <laughs> no. Saying that the uh, he the, the, the lily, think about yeah. this conversation, or the plane's going overhead. <laughs> <laughs> that we, uh, oh yeah, we could uh, we could talk about the new uh, turn in our um, in the, uh, the road to Telluride, which is that we're going to go up 550 <laughs> instead of uh, and uh, and go straight up to Durango. Yeah, that, that's a new exciting turn in. The <laughs> I don't think people have been following our drama, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, we're flying into Albuquerque. We're renting a car. We're driving three hours to tell you. To I, I actually, maybe three to four. Depending. Three to four hours to Durango. But that'll be okay because that's leaving at six or something. That won't be so bad. Uh, you know, it'll be fine. So then we spend the night in Durango and we drive up in the morning. Then we have a very, very nice, pleasant, uh, easy two-hour up. Uh, uh, Beautiful, uh, breathtaking uh, mountain roads up to Telluride. And we have time in the morning, by the way, and I think this is uh, essential, is to go look at the um, at the old-fashioned uh, uh, railroad uh, car uh, engine. The, the They have a, a cinder-spewing uh, uh, old uh, 19th-century locomotive that mm. takes people up the uh, this old-fashioned railway all the way up to a town uh, called Silverton, I believe, which is to the southeast, very slightly, of Telluride. And I was saying that if you, if we uh, didn't have, uh, we had backpacks or something, the the cool thing would be to get off at Silverton and then hike ten miles over the over the mountains. <laughs> we almost did that. <laughs> we didn't do it. That sounds we, like. When was that? You remember you were saying we should have done it. Like we were close to maybe doing it. Oh, hiking, yeah. No, I, I just, it would be delightful to, to do that. So you know. Yeah, no, it does. It sounds great. Yeah, um, you, you have to make these, uh, do these things because you'll you'll feel badly about not doing this stuff on your deathbed. You know? right. you, you're never going to feel great. Oh, boy, I took the easy way out and had lots of comfort, and I had 200 channels on my remote every night. Boy, what a great life I had, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no bigger time waster than watching TV. I wish that that every American could understand that. Yeah, you you have a finite number of years. You don't want to spend all of your time mm-hmm. 
in front of a television sitting on your ass. You know, that doesn't build memories. It doesn't do anything for you except mm-hmm. keep you distracted, you know, yeah. for a little while. So anyway, so that's that. So we will be reporting from Telluride next, not this week, but next week. Yeah. Hopefully. Next week will be another boring thing because, well, not, not either. Well, and no, because, oh, yeah, the, I'm seeing Contagion, but I think there's an embargo on it. Oh, yeah, there is, I believe, yeah. Yeah. I asked them about, uh, actually, they said I can go to it. Uh, can you tell me what night you have? Um, I think I'm Wednesday. Okay. Are you? I expect that I will probably be, uh, they said you're good to go on uh, any number of screenings between now, and uh, I said I'd rather see it here than have only one night in New York, which is when I will be there before going to Toronto, so if they could possibly let me see it here, it would be very much appreciated. So. That's pretty exciting, so you get to go. Yeah. yeah. I hope it's good. I mean, I, I hear it's really good. Really, I hear it's really scary, you know? Well, not really scary. No, that's what I heard. Like really freaky and scary and sad and weird. You mm-hmm. know, all of those things in one. So, I'm looking forward to it. I, you know. Yeah, me too. Yeah. He's best, in my opinion. Steve Soderbergh is best at these kind of um, traditional Hollywood movies, as opposed to his when he tries to be artsy fartsy. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think he does better with this kind of thing. So I'm looking. I'm I'm expecting great things. Mm. Well, that's something to look forward to. Yeah. Okay. All right, dude. It was lovely speaking as usual, nice and um, and uh, enjoy the rest of the Sunday. We'll uh, talk to you. Same week. to you. Okay. Take care. Bye. You've been listening to Oscar Poker with Jeffrey Wells from HollywoodElsewhere.com, Phil Contrino from BoxOffice.com, and Sasha Stone from AwardsDaily.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Oscar Podcast and the bumper music today was Down Boy by the Yeah Yeah Yeahs and Dark Night of the Soul featuring David Lynch by um, Danger Mouse and Sparkle Horse. Thanks for listening.
Oh, my God.